Hey, sickos. I'm LJ. And I'm Tao. And this is... Say Psycho right now. Good to have you back. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so, welcome. before we get things started, welcome, I, I feel like welcome, we... welcome to the shit show. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Fact. <laughs> this is, in fact, a shit show. So, before we get, like, really get into the case today, hmm. I think we just need to talk about what happened in the world of our pod this week. Oh, what? Oh, yes. The world of our pod this week. I don't know why you sounded so confused for a second because everybody who's anybody who listens to true crime knows the Morbid podcast. Ash and Elena yes. from Morbid yes. icons, like true crime podcast goddesses. And I submitted a listener tale. Listener tale 72 has my story in it. And anyway, they ended up shouting out our pod. That said, we changed our name, as you guys know. So they shouted us out by our old name. I literally couldn't even care. I was just so happy. But people people are sleuths. They still found us. Yes, that's, um, that's what I was going to say. Like, Morbid yeah. ended up, like, catching on. And they put, like, a reel on Instagram, like, correcting our new name. Yeah. The girls from the Don't Tell My Therapist podcast ironically full circle we've like connected with them now and they've yeah. shouted us out to make sure that you know you guys were able to find us a little bit easier i've actually started listening to their podcast too so you guys should check them out they're really funny but yeah no just what a cool week our streams have been up a fair amount and you know i think i mean i won't speak for toe but i'd pretty much resigned myself to the fact that like there were pretty good odds that we were just going to be, like, doing this, but, like, talking to ourselves for six months. Yeah, I think that was a fair, <laughs> fair expectation. Oh, now, yeah. by the time this episode airs, this will probably be old news, but. Yeah, uh, it, it will be. But for us, real time, like. For us in real time right now, this is what's happening. 
And we just wanted to say, like, how cool it's been and how humbling, honestly, because, like, I, yeah. I never thought that they would even, like, that the listener tale would ever even make it on their podcast to begin with. But then for, you know, so many people to make the effort to make sure you guys find us, so many of you guys to salute us out and, like, listen and engage with us. It's just been really cool. And I also think that this would be a really appropriate time to shout out Savannah, our artist mm. who did our cover art. Morbid love, gasped her up. We love Savannah. She, like LJ said, she did our cover art, and she's fantastic. Yeah, um, and all her socials, in case anybody is, like, ever wondering like her portfolio is really diverse she basically i sent her reference photos i told her exactly what i wanted and she like just boop, picked it out my brain put it on paper literally I was like, what literally the hell? like okay okay savannah and she's, she's also just really great to work with aside from being a very talented artist she's like a really cool human to work with super easygoing and you know She's just a cool person. She even, like, coded her website from scratch. She didn't need to. She just could. You know, she just, like, learned how to because she just wanted to because she's just, like, that kind of gal. Giving, it's giving niche talents to which I can it, relate. It's giving queen energy. So Savannah shenanigans, if you guys ever want to check her out, I just – we we don't acknowledge that enough, and I want to make it a point to just shout her out because she – gave us our cover art and our cover art is what draws people in a lot of the times they don't know about our yeah. brand all they know is that image and girl you just yeah. they're like wow two whores and plague masks that sounds like something i want to listen to cruella Deville, smoky stick give me more <laughs> god cruella so Deville, smoky stick jesus <laughs> well we won't like bore you guys too much more with the banter, ye old mm. banter, because we've got a big old case today, Toby. Oh, we sure do. So we tell have... me about what we have today, buddy. So today's case is the case of Elizabeth Smart. Which I'm really excited to hear from your perspective, because I know we like mm. vaguely touched on it in another episode, and... Um. I'm familiar, think, but you have, like, a lot more insight. As yeah, and I think it's also the first time in Say Psycho Right Now history that Toe doesn't talk about murder. Oh, my God. Slow clap. Slow clap. Slow clap. Okay, so a lot of you have probably heard this case before. This was a really big case in the news at the time, right? Um, cool. It got a lot of coverage, so I'm sure a lot of you have you know heard of it so elizabeth smart was born on november 3rd 1987 and she was the second of six children born to ed and lois smart now they lived in a very large home right okay very large there's pictures out there on the internet you guys can go look it up maybe we'll post that on our instagram or something but you know, these people were not hurting, clearly. But they, they lived in a very upscale neighborhood in Salt Lake City, Utah. And she had seemingly a lovely childhood. And she was described as mild-mannered and well-behaved. And she enjoyed, you know, typical young girl stuff, such as playing with dolls. And she also played the harp. And she was said to be quite good at it. Now, 
Later on in an interview, Elizabeth herself said she grew up like many young girls looking forward to her own happily ever after, waiting for the day to come when she met the one and got married and settled down. And she says her captor robbed her of that. Now, in the early summer of 2002, Elizabeth was 14 years old and was looking forward to starting high school and all the milestones that come along with that such as getting her driver's license and having a little bit more freedom and, of course, boys. Now, Elizabeth's family was Mormon, and, of course, this, you know, meant that she grew up in a home with strong family values and relatively strict moral values as well. Right. And Elizabeth loved being a part of her church community and was said to have a lot of friends within the church as well as a close relationship with her family, her parents and her siblings. Right. Now, early June 2002, this was a rough time for the Smart family. Elizabeth's grandfather had been diagnosed with an aggressive brain tumor and passed away just two months later. And the night before Elizabeth was kidnapped was a busy night for the family and one of many mixed emotions. So they had just had the funeral for Lois's father, which is Elizabeth's grandfather. And meanwhile... That night was to be an end-of-year award ceremony at Elizabeth's school, and Elizabeth was to be playing the harp. Now, Ed and Lois were doing their best to stay in good spirits, and Lois, as mothers do, was wearing several hats at once, trying to figure out the logistics of the evening, get everybody where they needed to be, figure out how to get the harp in the car. Right. (laughs) And meanwhile, also cook dinner. And... Amidst all this stress, she winds up burning the meal, so she cracked a window in the kitchen to air out some of the smoke. Girl, I felt that. Yeah. Now, that's going to be important in just a minute. Unfortunately, I felt it would be. I just yeah. need to, like, shout out, you're not the first. Like, we've you're all done it. As a you're matter of fact, I did it, like, a couple months ago, and John, the other day, he was just like, hey, is did you like open the window it was like like two months ago when we burnt that thing and he's like oh my god like no wonder our electric bill is so high so not the first mom and not the last to open a window and leave it open to air out and definitely we cite lj's lack of self-preservation okay but i didn't realize it didn't get shut i thought that was a john john job That does honestly sound like a John John job, to be fair. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> honestly, he should be ch- he should be checking the windows and doors every night. That's his Thank you. Thank add you. That, add that to his chore list. <laughs> Why should that be my job? Closing the window I opened? I think not. Absolutely. Who does who does he think he is? Anyways. So she cracks the window to air out the smoke and the family proceeds to have dinner and everyone rushes out the door to the school and they arrive late. And Lois is on edge as nothing is going according to plan. But, you know, they get through the evening and they arrive at home. And after arriving at home, Elizabeth and her sister Mary Catherine proceed up to their shared room where together they read from the book Ella Enchanted before drifting off to sleep. So sweet. Super sweet. This is where it gets less sweet. So, in the wee hours of the morning of June 5th, 2002, Elizabeth woke up to hear an 
an unfamiliar voice, which she initially thought must be part of a strange dream. As she opened her eyes, however, she saw a man standing over her bed and heard him say, I have a knife at your neck. Don't make a sound. Get up and come with me. God, that would be any person's nightmare. But to be a child. Yeah, that had to be terrible. So she could feel the knife at her neck. And immediately Elizabeth thought of her sister sleeping there in the same room with her. And she thought that if she didn't comply with this man, he might take her sister. And she knew she had to go. Oh, what a good sissy. I mean, terrible. But, you know, just... As a mom of sisters, you know, like, because I, yeah. I have two girls. I'm like, oh, my God, either of my girls I could see doing that. It breaks my heart. But, like, as a mom, like, oh, my God. I could I could see B doing that. Like, don't yeah. even want to think about it, but I could see her doing exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, like, it, being in a position where I have two girls of my own, I just, like, can't help but to picture you know yeah yeah oh my god all right keep going these are so hard places with kids i know so he replied sorry so she thought that he might take her sister she knew she had to go so he walked her over to her closet to get a pair of shoes and elizabeth asked him you know why are you doing this and he replied that he was taking her to hold for ransom he then proceeded to walk her out of the room and down the hallway and the man whispered to elizabeth if you scream or yell i'll kill your family or i'll kill you and at that point you know although elizabeth did fear that he may have already killed some of her family she chose to comply as you know it seemed to be her best chance at survival for not only herself but her family to whom you know she was very close with so elizabeth said that as her captor she later would say that as her captor led her through the family home she silently prayed for her parents to wake up and save her but sadly they remained asleep as she was led right out of the home he led her down the stairs through the kitchen and out the back door of the smart family home and then back in the house as it turned out mary catherine was actually awake the entire time oh wow yeah so she saw everything but she knew that revealing that fact would put them both at risk so these girls you know they're they're described as sheltered and naive but really this is smart right and from a i mean you can tell that like regardless of being sheltered definitely that just instinctual self-preservation like those survival instincts are innate you know yeah for sure so she pretended to be asleep and once she couldn't hear them in the house anymore she got out of bed to go tell her parents what had happened and meanwhile now i should point out that mary catherine was rightfully terrified and it did take her a while to get out of bed and go tell her parents she i would imagine yeah yeah she approached the bedroom door a few times but you know kind of thought she heard something went back to bed she waited and she did wait a little while to make sure that they were out of the house right and which you know is totally justified in this case Absolutely. so so she jumps out of bed to go tell her parents what had happened now meanwhile again elizabeth is out of the house at this point and she was led to an empty lot of sorts 
it was at this point that her captor noticed some headlights coming towards them and elizabeth would later recall him saying if this work is true god let this car pass oh that like gave me chills she would go on to say quote i was being kidnapped but here he was mentioning god it didn't make any sense right so that brings me to her captor i just want to touch on him for a minute before we get too too far into this so elizabeth's captor as we know now was a man called brian david mitchell now a little background on him brian was born in salt lake city in 1953 to cheryl and irene mitchell Mm -hmm. now he like elizabeth also came from a mormon family and was one of six children Uh, he was particularly interested in the smart family because of their faith and it's said that he specifically was looking to target someone with within the mormon faith as he would be very familiar with their mindset and beliefs and he would know exactly how to manipulate them to get his desired result right now despite being from the same faith brian's upbringing was quite the opposite of the smart children and while his mother irene was said to be a good and caring mother his father Cheryl, was a fucking weirdo okay oddly enough he was a social worker but he was guys he was a lunatic so he would drop brian off in an unfamiliar area and force him to find his way home and he taught brian all the nitty-gritty details of sex when he was just eight years old oh yeah he forced him to look at graphic images in medical journals and it said that as a teen brian became extremely rebellious and was actually sent to juvie for exposing himself to a much younger girl when he was 16. ew so he's you know he's been a weirdo for a while yeah now upon his release he was sent to live with his grandmother but it said that that didn't do much in terms of correcting his behavior and he eventually dropped out of high school and stayed away from the faith in which he was raised and began drinking and getting into drugs and when he was 19 he married a 16 year old ironically named karen minor Oh and- my god. That's on the news. <laughs> yeah. And uh, shouldn't be laughing at that, but <laughs> No, I mean it's just the 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 irony for me. Yes. Yeah. It's not the situation. And they had two children together. So they were married for just two years. And when they divorced, Brian actually got custody of the kids. Now Karen did eventually remarry, and at that time, she attempted to regain custody of her children. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian took the kids and fled to New Hampshire, and it's said that Karen didn't really go to much additional effort to get her kids back after that. Brian lived in New Hampshire with the children for two years, part of the time staying in a Hare Krishna commune before returning to Salt Lake City. Now, when he arrived back in Salt Lake City, His brother, who had just returned from a mission, convinced Brian to rejoin the Mormon church. Now, he once again became active in the church, and then in 1981, he married his second wife, Debbie, who already had three children. Mm -hmm. 
so you know they had her three his two and then they had two more kids together right totaling seven kids in the household now soon after their marriage their marriage became strained very quickly right and at this point believing that they were threatening his marriage brian placed his two children from his first marriage into foster care now it should also be noted that while residing in his home brian refused to let the two oldest children attend the lds church as he believed they were not worthy additionally he insisted that the children be adopted by a non-mormon family and that they not be allowed to have any contact with his extended family can I just point out that Brian's unworthy? Yeah. Well, that's the understatement of the year, fam. Just saying. But go on. Okay. Now, prior to placing the kids into foster care, Brian was made to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. Now, the psychiatrist found no signs of mental illness. Okay. I'm going to say that again. Found no signs of mental illness. So, is that like, he's not mentally ill, he's just a piece of shit. I mean, I feel like he has to be some level of mentally ill to do what he did. What we're, you know, we're going to read. I don't think he's, you know, mentally ill to the point of being absolved of guilt. Right. But, I mean, there's got to be something going on upstairs in the coconut for you to act like this. I I don't know. But, I'm I, again, I'm not a professional, so. Right. Now, shortly after all of this, it said that Brian became obsessed with Satan. And when questioned about this, he would claim that he was just learning about his enemy. Brian filed for divorce from Debbie in 1984, claiming that she was violent with him and the kids. But yet the kids all remained with her. Hmm. Interesting, right? So a year after their separation, Debbie reported to the authorities that she believed Brian may have sexually abused their three-year-old son. And they couldn't find any solid proof of these allegations, but a caseworker did recommend that all future visitations be supervised. Right. And later, Brian's stepdaughter came forward saying that he had sexually abused her the entire time that he was married to her mom. Oh, poor honey. Yeah. So, allegedly, Debbie brought this to the attention of church leaders. Right. But but they were advised to just, you know, let it go. Brush it under the rug. Which... I mean, checks out for the LDS church. I'm not right. going to lie. Like, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not an expert. But, you know, from everything I've heard about, you know, the LDS church and its leaders, that doesn't Not me. shocking. Yeah. So, now the same day that his divorce from Debbie was finalized, Brian married his third wife, Wanda Barzi. And she had six children, but had left them all with her ex-husband when she married Brian. Now, a few of them did move in with the couple for a short period of time, but quickly grew tired of Brian's preaching and moved back out. Brian began to portray Satan during temple rituals, and it got to the point where other church members were, like, really uncomfortable, and he was eventually asked to tone it down. He changed his name to Emmanuel David Isaiah and told everyone that he was a prophet of God. 
and that he received prophetic visions. But that's how it always starts. Brian, Emmanuel, yeah. Israel, Isaiah, Moses. Like, what is going <laughs> on here? <laughs> so Brian's wife, Wanda, began going by the name of Hephzibah. And Brian started preaching and begging for money on the streets of Salt Lake City. Um, just two months before the abduction, he wrote a 27-page prophecy titled The Book of Emmanuel David Isaiah. Now, this prophecy allegedly instructed Brian to gather 50 virgin brides to help him get God's house in order before the apocalypse. When the leaders of the Mormon church caught wind of Brian's prophecy, he was excommunicated. And in April of 2002, Brian's own mother filed a restraining order against both he and his wife after they allegedly showed up at her home aggressively trying to get her to read his book of Emmanuel David Isaiah. Right. So that's pretty much the events leading not all of the events leading up to the kidnapping, but that's just a background on Brian and his fucking insanity. Boy was unhinged, basically. He was unhinged. So that leads us back to, you know, again, the night of the kidnapping. Brian's led Elizabeth to this empty lot. He's rambling on about God. Now... Brian, as this car passes, Brian kept repeating, if you move, I'll kill you. If you move, I'll kill you. Now, as it turns out, the passing car was a police car. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's going to be a common theme in this story is that there was just so many times that this girl was so close to being rescued. It's ridiculous. I've, I've never heard anything like this story. So... It was a police car, but, you know, unfortunately, Brian got his wish and it passed by them. Right. Now, as soon as the police car had passed, they were up and running, and Brian always was right behind Elizabeth with a knife to her back. Right. She kept looking for opportunities to run, but there was no way out at this point. Now, at one point, Elizabeth actually said to him, if you're just going to rape and kill me, please do it here. And just for clarification, because you might have said this earlier, but what was her age at this time? She was 14. Okay, okay. I was thinking that we were around there. I just wasn't wasn't positive. Yeah. So Brian gave Elizabeth a smile. She would later describe as bone chilling and say, I'm not going to rape and murder you yet. Oh yeah, vile. It is. It's it's disturbing shit. Now Elizabeth would later go on to say in an interview that in her mind, you know, she just want her parent. She wanted her parents to know what happened to her. Right. And she wanted them to find her, even if it was just her body. Right. And that was, you know, her reasoning behind saying, "Just kill me here." Right. Now, meanwhile, back at the smart house, Mary Catherine has woken up her parents saying somebody's taken Elizabeth. And her parents, of course, are startled. And they woke up assuming their daughter must have had a bad dream. 
Right. Okay. I, I'm sure you wake up and yeah. you're like, I'm sorry, what? Like, go back to bed. But also, like, like, I want to check this out. What? Some but, like, creeper broke into our giant house in this bougie neighborhood? That's not a thing that happens. What are you Yeah. I mean, you're definitely going to get up and check things out. But I'm sure your first thought would be like, oh, like, she had a nightmare. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, especially because, like, kids say all kinds of shit. Like, Oh, can confirm. Oh my god, some of the shit that your kids say sometimes. <laughs> that was exactly, you know what? When I said that, I thought of RL. And I oh, was yeah. like, it just some of the shit she comes up with. Oh yeah, I mean, just today, the girls were playing 20 questions at lunch, and we went through, like, normal questions. Is your character a princess? Yes. Is, is it you know, a Disney or a Pixar. Oh, it's Disney. And then RL goes, is the person gluten-free? <laughs> <laughs> and she's literally six and none of us are gluten-free. And then my older kiddo, B, she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, why would I know if they're gluten-free? I mean, probably not. Anyway, kids say some weird yeah. shit. Just like, yeah. what? No, they have they have a wild imagination, so they're probably like, okay, let's get to the bottom of this. So, right. her parents, of course, are thinking this can't be happening. She must be in the house someplace, and they begin frantically searching the home, waking up the other kids, like, hey, is Elizabeth in here? You know, so on and so forth. And as Ed searches the home, Mary Catherine says once again to her father, you know, someone has taken her. You're not going to find her. Right. And like, right about then, Lois joins her husband downstairs in the kitchen, turns on the lights, and notices the window that she had let open to let the smoke out. That poor mother. Yeah, seriously. She must be feeling awful. So she saw the screen had been cut and told her, you know, told her husband, Ed, we need to call the police. Right. After contacting police, Ed picked up the phone and began calling friends, family, anybody he could think of to come help. And that's going to be important soon. Right. Because this is where this case gets kind of really mishandled. So, meanwhile, Elizabeth is bargaining with her captor. She's telling him things like, you know, my parents will pay anything to get me back. If you get caught, you'll spend the rest of your life in prison. If you just let me go, my parents won't press charges, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Definitely, like, the bartering. Yeah. And at this point, Brian looks at Elizabeth with the same smile as before and says, I know what I'm doing and I know what the consequences are. The only difference is I'm not going to get caught. Mm. So two police officers arrive to the home. The problem is is that these jackasses didn't secure the crime scene right and within minutes everybody and their brother is swarming around the smart family home one detective would later say in a documentary i had never seen a crime scene so contaminated oh god one mistake by rookie officers destroyed any hope of finding any evidence as to what happened to elizabeth that night and Mary Catherine was the only person to see the suspect, and she was able to she was able to provide some description to police, but ultimately there just wasn't a whole lot to go off of. And you know, the only witness is a traumatized kid. And do we know how old the sister would have been? You know what? Let me 
I, I, I do. I'm sure it was mentioned a thousand times, but I did not bother to put it in my notes. Okay. So let me do, you know what? We're going to just do a goog real quick. Okay, that sounds like a plan because I'm just like really curious to know because these just seem like such brilliant girls like to have this much thought. Okay, so she was five years younger than Elizabeth, so she would have been around nine or so. Okay. Yeah, no, they're smart girls. Like, honestly, it's probably the only reason that she survived this was just, you know, sheer, I don't know. Just how they responded to the situation. Anybody yeah. could have responded differently. Absolutely. And not come out the way that she did. Absolutely. So, finally, after the crime scene is already horribly contaminated, the police are like, well, hey, you can't have all these people in here. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, at this point isn't worth much. But after this, they realize they do need to get everybody out of the house figure out who they are and get their fingerprints so they can try to clean up this mess they've created. Right. And at this point, the family also needs to be cleared as possible suspects in the case. Now, the immediate family were placed in separate police cars and taken to the police station for questioning. Lois did later mention being irritated with this process and especially concerned for Mary Catherine as she was only nine years old. And the only witness to the horrendous crime and now separated from the rest of her family. Wow, that would would just be trauma on trauma at that point. So police also bring cadaver dogs in to search the family's property just in case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, back with Elizabeth and fucking psycho ass over here. At this point, the sun is starting to come up. And Elizabeth actually recognized her captor. Her family had first encountered Brian Mitchell when Elizabeth and her siblings were out with her mother and they came across a man who was looking for work. Now, soon after that, he did come and do some work around the house for her father. He later would say that the very first time he saw her was with her mom. Sorry, the very first time he saw her with her mom, he knew she was the one he wanted. That's so disturbing in this family. So disturbing, yeah. You know, upstanding members of the community is like trying to get him work and yeah. So, so Lois and the all the kids were out, I guess, shopping, Um, and they came across this guy. And Lois, I guess, gave him. He had like a sign that he was looking for work. And Lois gave him $5 and said, hey, you know, my husband probably has some things that need done around the house. He came and worked for the family. He came one time, never came back until the day of the kidnapping. It's said that he actually did return to the smart home several times prior to the kidnapping to scout the best route and the layout of the home in the area. Now, as they make their way over the mountain, Brian tells Elizabeth that his wife is waiting for them. And at this time, Elizabeth begins to think that maybe he kidnapped her because they can't have kids. You know, maybe maybe they want her to be their daughter. And she's kind of thinking, okay, well, if that's the case, at least I get to live. Right, right. Yeah. So as they approach the, you know, the secret camp, so to speak, Brian yelled out, Hepzibah! 
and Elizabeth. Oh my god, it's so I funny. Hate it. I Go hate on. it. And Elizabeth heard a woman's voice ba- yell back, "Emmanuel." What the fuck? I literally hate this. These absolute fruit loops. Oh it's like nails on a chalkboard. That's I hate that part. So, as hell. <laughs> honest to God, fucking Hafsabah, <laughs> Ishmael, Emmanuel, David, Moses, Jebediah, <laughs> get out of here! LJ's just rat- rattling off every name in the Bible. Literally, I'm, I'm sure. Grab your Bible and go to therapy. You're not okay. Oh, Okay. Way to, use your, way, to, way to use your Catholic school education. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I knew it would come in handy sometime. God. So they approached the camp and Elizabeth could see a tent and a woman she described as looking scary. Now, the woman began to hug Elizabeth, although the hug was anything but comforting. And she led her into a tent and set her down in a bucket. She began to wash her feet and proceeded to try and undress her. No, ma'am. Elizabeth begged and pleaded with her not to take her clothes off. And eventually the woman was like, fine, here, put this robe on, you know. And at one point she even threatened Elizabeth and said that if she didn't allow the woman to remove her clothes, she'd have Emmanuel come in and do it. Shortly after this, Brian enters the tent where Elizabeth is waiting and he performs some sort of marriage ritual and tells Elizabeth that she's now his wife. Wow, that sounds very official. Good job. Good job. Super official. And he tells her that it's now time to consummate the marriage. No, ma'am. Yeah. So, obviously, at this point, Elizabeth is terrified. She's 14 years old. And on top of that, she's Mormon, and her virginity is extremely important to her. Sure. Yeah, so she once again begins to try and reason with her attacker, and at that point, at one point, she even exclaims, I haven't even started my period yet. Right. And Brian shouts out, Jesus Christ, I hate this. I hate even having to read this quote, but this is, we do this for you guys. Brian shouts out, Hepzibah, is it okay that she hasn't started her period yet? give a reasonable answer here to which his wife replied it's fine come on hepzibah come on get the fuck out of here (laughs) happy jesus christ i I love to get through this honestly So later, actually, in an interview, Elizabeth said, I thought you had to face each other to have sex. So she believed that if she rolled over and crossed her legs, he wouldn't be able to get to her. Oh, honey. Yeah, again, this is, you know, she's a 14-year-old Mormon girl. So after he raped her, Brian got up and walked out of the tent, leaving Elizabeth lying there, feeling what she would later describe as truly broken right like there was no coming back she said she truly believed it would be better if she were dead now at this point elizabeth decides she's going to get some sleep and unfortunately when she woke up she found brian attaching a metal metal cable to her ankle although she had every intention of running away that night she assured brian that she wouldn't run begging him not to chain her up but of Mm -hmm. course it was to no avail 
And at this point, Elizabeth realized that they had no intentions of killing her, but rather keeping her as their prisoner. Ugh. Now, so back at home, Elizabeth's family is doing everything they can. You know, they're trying to appeal to the public. They're making, you know, statements on television. They're plastering her photos everywhere. And volunteers are searching for Elizabeth day and night. Right. Now, by the end of the next day, there were over 2,000 volunteers. Oh my god. And on the third day after the abduction, Ed Smart, he couldn't he could not take it anymore and he had a total breakdown. And he was actually admitted to the hospital. Now, after a talk with his bishop, he did return home. Summer is finally here, but camping? It's canceled. If you enjoy true crime podcasts, check out Camping is Canceled wherever you stream your podcast. Jen and Kate host the show, and we love listening to their case coverages because listening to them is like sitting down by a campfire with your besties and sharing chilling stories, but without the potential hazards, collateral damage, or run-in with questionable characters. Their cases are also informative and maintain a great deal of respect for their victims that the cases cover. If you want to get your summer on, be sure to check out Camping is Cancelled. Shout out Jen and Kate! Meanwhile, on the third day, Elizabeth was sitting in her new prison where she heard a familiar voice calling her name. And she couldn't pinpoint the voice, but she felt like it was someone she knew. She began to, th- she began to think, oh, they're going to find me. Great, you know? Right. Until Brian once again held a knife to her and threatened to kill her if she screamed and kill anyone who entered the camp. Right. After that, Elizabeth never heard her name being called again. Oh. You know, there were bloodhounds, helicopters, and search parties. And Elizabeth later said she could hear the helicopters hovering right over the camp. Mm. And when the day came that she could no longer hear the choppers, she assumed she had been forgotten about. That's so sad. I mean, they were right there. They were so close. That, right. That's I think that's the most unique and heartbreaking and frustrating all at once part of this story. Right. Is how many times they were so goddamn close. Right. And there's more. There's more. So the police began to take a hard look at the family, actually. And one uncle failed a polygraph test. Now, reports were saying that the screen looked as though it had been cut from the inside 12 mm-hmm. computers were seized from the family right you know so they're they're really looking into the family and all this time you know she's with brian in the fucking woods right and you know the media's the media plays a huge role in this case too because they're Mm -hmm. reporting all this stuff that oh well now we're looking at the family well meanwhile you know elizabeth's chained to a fucking tree somewhere right Uh, at one point back at the camp brian brought wine back to the camp and of course elizabeth declined being mormon and being 14 um He eventually forced her to drink the wine, telling her no food or water until you drink this. He Mm -hmm. forced Elizabeth to drink glass after glass of wine, and then he would rape her. And this, this became a common theme in Elizabeth's daily life for the duration of her captivity. Mm. Now, 
As the investigation continues, Elizabeth's family continues with the TV appearances. And police, of course, have gotten a list of anybody that's worked in the smart home. Now, it was said they had upwards of 60 different contractors that had done work on the home at different times. Right. Now, investigators began to look at Richard Reese. He had worked as a handyman in the smart home, and he had a long criminal history. He was effectively mm-hmm. a career criminal. Right. The family was sure that he must have had something to do with Elizabeth's disappearance. And allegedly he had, I mean, his criminal record was like, a, you know, he had shot at a police officer during a robbery and he had he was said to be very dangerous it was also said that he had stolen jewelry from the smart family when he worked for them Mm. now richard's wife said he was home sleeping all night and he did pass a polygraph at this point richard is still being zeroed in on here despite there being no real evidence linking him to this crime right and Again, we come back to this. It's frustrating because Elizabeth is chained to a fucking tree in the woods and you're dicking around. Right. I mean, yeah, the guy has a criminal record. You know, he doesn't have the strongest alibi, but you have no evidence. Right. And I mean, we also have a contaminated crime scene as well. Yeah. I mean, it's just this whole case is just like makes you just want to like strangle somebody so at one point the family is sitting watching tv and richard reese pops up on the television and mary catherine who remember is the only witness to the kidnapping was like yeah that's not him right so that should like carry some merit that should carry some merit now back at the prison camp elizabeth was forbidden to speak of her family But one day, Brian was talking about his own mother and where she lived. And Elizabeth was, without thinking, was like, oh, my cousin lives near there. Uh Now, she noted that Brian didn't get mad. Like, and that was unusual because usually he would get upset when she would talk about her family. And later he comes to her and says, I've had revelation and you're not going to like it. He proceeds to tell Elizabeth that the Lord has commanded him to kidnap her cousin Olivia to be his oh, next wife. No. Yeah. So Brian did attempt to kidnap Olivia, but he was thankfully unsuccessful. Good. He cut the window screen and attempted to break into the home, much like he did with the, you know, Elizabeth's home. However, he knocked over some picture frames and woke up Eliz- Olivia's sister, and that was enough to scare him off yeah olivia later recalled waking up to the sound of her father on the phone with the police saying someone just tried to break into our house and we're related to elizabeth smart right now ed also contacted the police department and they agreed to look into it but the matter was brushed off as being insignificant to elizabeth's case this attempted break-in also further proves the fact that Richard Reese wasn't involved in Elizabeth's abduction. Is right. He was, incar- he was incarcerated at the time of this incident. Oh my god. So Elizabeth's brother took the attempted kidnapping of his cousin to mean that Elizabeth still may be alive. Right. And her family's like pushing law enforcement like, hey, we need to look into this, but once again the salt lake city police are being useless so 
So, fast forward a little bit. After about six weeks tethered to trees, Brian actually took Elizabeth down into Salt Lake City. Mm. He would force her to wear a veil and told her if she'd speak, he'd kill her and her family. This and this became a regular occurrence. Right. Um, so again, we have she's so fucking close. At one point, Elizabeth even ended up at a house party where one attendee even told her, like, hey, you need to ditch this guy. He's trouble. But he said Elizabeth just looked scared and lost. And he later said he felt bad, but he didn't think it was his place to do anything other than advise her to leave. Right. In August of 2002, so we're, like, two-ish months into this now. Uh, Salt Lake City received a call, Salt Lake City Police, sorry, received a call from the local public library saying that Elizabeth Smart was there at the library. Now, at this point, on this day, you know, Mitchell and Barzi and Elizabeth are all sitting at a table in a library and they're talking about moving to California because winter is coming soon. Mm -hmm. And they're wanting to go someplace warmer. Now, at this point, a detective actually approaches the table and he's asking to see Elizabeth's face. Now, he doesn't mention Elizabeth's name, but they say there's a girl missing. And if I can just see her face to prove it's not her, we'll be on our way. Now, right. at this, Yeah. Now, at this point, Elizabeth is effectively brainwashed. Is He's told her so many times, if you speak, I'll kill you. I'll kill your family. Sure. She genuinely believed it. And after the detective leaves... The three of them hightail it out of the library, and Brian's like, we need to move out of Utah. Right. So, you know, again, this is just another example. I mean, she literally talked to a cop. Right. And, well, I'm sorry, I don't know if she actually spoke, but there was literally there was a, a, cop, in her there was a cop right there. Yeah. And honestly... I, I don't know. I, I kind of have to say shame on the cop. Like, I I no. get that. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. I, I get what you're saying, though, because not to go off on too far of a tangent, but I, I think that this gives, like, you know, firsthand experiences to why people, why victims don't speak up or can't speak up in these situations you know, without going into too much detail, I mean, I went to one of those troubled teen, you know, fix your kid type camps for over two years. It was extremely, extremely, extremely abusive, psychologically, physically, etc. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in a room with CPS. These CPS workers were begging me to tell them that I was abused, they, essentially, you know, like, are you fat? Are you this? Are you that? I could not tell them because in my head, I'm sitting there, the people who are abusing me, this is their trailer, you know, and as right. far as I know, I'm like, there could be, like, this could be audio recorded, this could be a test, this could be whatever. I'm like, I would not have spoken up unless you had taken me out of the environment completely away from the people taking me down somewhere completely safe insecure showed me your documentation like proven to me who you are and that i'm not in 
direct harm for saying something. And even then, would I have said something? I don't know because I would have yeah. been so scared of ramifications. And this is not a situation where I was being, you know, threatened with a knife to my neck either. So I can only imagine for this poor girl. Right. And the thing is, you know, the cop said, well, I can't, you know, of course he told her that the veil was for religious reasons. Sure. You know, and the cop says, you know, he later said that, you know, I can't go on ripping veils off of women, you know, all across the city. And I get it, you know, but at the same time, you know, can I see some ID? Can yeah, I, I, I just feel like he could have done something else. You know, Yeah. I, I don't think that's a valid argument because I, I don't know a lot about religions that cover their face and their hair. But from what I know, they all, you know, are happy to show their face to a law enforcement. Well, and here's the thing, too. Going back to what I said a moment ago, why... Why would this cop sitting with somebody who he suspects is an abducted child yeah. who has been abducted, I'm sure, with force, you would have to imagine, to get a child to comply like that with force, with threats, with whatever. God only knows yeah. what Elizabeth would have been through at this point, to his knowledge, if this was in fact Elizabeth bare minimum what should have happened here is separate her from the potential abuser and get her direct input tell the people you sit here i'm taking her you yeah. know if you have to have another officer come up so that you can have one sit with the that's what you do but absolutely like call for backup like do something yeah. you know absolutely I just think it was extremely mishandled. So absolutely. after the, you know, again, the detective leaves, they're like, we got to get the hell out of Utah. So for several weeks, Brian leaves Elizabeth with his wife while he goes out and panhandles and they eventually scrape up enough money to purchase the three of them bus tickets to San Diego. And now at this point, months have gone by and police have no credible leads. They have thousands of shitty leads, but nothing solid. Right. And several times bodies were found and Elizabeth's family wondered if it was her. And additionally, at this time, the police are back on Reese. However, Reese was at this point incarcerated and on August 27, 2002, he suffered a brain hemorrhage and slipped into a coma. On August 30th, he passed away. And at this point, they're kind of like, well, fuck, we just wasted a lot of time yeah absolutely yeah so literally like this is ridiculous it just this whole case just makes me want to do things to people that i can't say on the pod eat it here so elizabeth and her captors arrived in california and the cycle continues you know of the alcohol abuse and being raped and being starved and tortured and tied up and you know so on and so forth so fast forward to october and mary catherine is racking her brain trying to think of what happened who took elizabeth 
-hmm. And she said as she was lying in her bed one night, the name Emmanuel came to mind. And she told her dad, I think I know who did it. And she told him that it was the homeless guy that came and helped work on the roof. Now, at this point, a lot of the police, they don't believe this. They're still stuck on Reese. And they believe Elizabeth to be dead. They wow. even went so far as to tell the Smart family to hold a memorial service. Oh. Now, the whole time they're saying, hey, let's not talk about this Emmanuel in the media. We don't want to alert him. Right. And eventually the Smart family had enough of being dismissed and they released the oh. information about Emmanuel. Within two weeks, they had a leave. So, yeah. So this actually reached the attention of Brian's brother-in-law, Tom, and his wife, Lisa, Brian's sister. And they saw an article and they were like, well, shit, that sounds like Brian. And so Lisa calls the police and she's like, hey, I know who this is. So meanwhile, you know, Brian, Wanda, and Elizabeth are out in California. They're pretty much living the same way that they did in Salt Lake City. And on one particular occasion, Brian left to go into the city to minister, quote. Oh. And yeah, I hate that, right? And he left Elizabeth and Wanda with no food or water as he often did. Only this time he actually broke into a church and was arrested, leaving them to nearly starve to death. At one point it began raining and they caught rainwater in tarps in order to not thirst to death. He eventually came back with some leftover KFC and bragged about how the police ran his fingerprints and nothing came up. And how he had given them and how he had given them a fake name. Ridiculous. Fam, it's so ridiculous. So things are starting to come together and things are pointing to Brian David Mitchell, but police still are not convinced. Right. So Mick Finnerty who is an FBI chief investigator on the case, gave a copy of the photo of Brian to the media unit and they sent it to America's Most Wanted. Oh, wow. Yeah, and after seeing him on America's Most Wanted, Mitchell's ex-wife, Debbie, calls into the tip line and he's like, and she's like, that's my husband, he's a street preacher, he's a con artist, and he molested my daughter, and he's married to another psycho, and her name is Wanda Bardsey. Good job, Debbie. Yay! Five stars, Debbie. We love a Debbie. Way to turn out, Deb Deb. We love you for that. Yeah, it's not your fault you married a psycho. So, Mitchell is thinking it's time for him to move again, and he's rattling off ideas like New York, so on and so forth. And Elizabeth, again, smart girl, she starts thinking, I've got to convince him to go back to Salt Lake. Right. So, Elizabeth starts to wise up a little and she kind of fools Brian at his own game. And she says, I just have this feeling we're supposed to go back to Salt Lake. And I know God would never talk to me, but can you ask God if we're supposed to go back there? You know, surely he'd tell you you're his prophet. Oh my God. And she's smart. I mean, I got to give it to her. She's, she's brainwashed, but she's smart. And Brian's like, Oh yeah. You know? And so, Elizabeth proceeds to tell him that she thinks it's important for her to experience hitchhiking. So 
they bought her a wig and sunglasses and they're off and now it it did prove to be hard to get rides and elizabeth starts to think like shit maybe i fucked up right right but you know eventually they do take a bus into salt lake city now on march 12 2003 the salt lake Tribune published a story saying that the smarts were frustrated with the police's lack of progress and that they were ignoring the best lead in the case, Brian David Mitchell, because they were too hung up on Richard Reese. Right. The dead man. Yeah, the dead man. Now, okay, so they're taking the bus into Salt Lake City and the young man starts to question Brian about Elizabeth, asking why she's wearing a wig, so on and so forth. So... Brian, of course, doesn't like this, and he quickly gets them off the bus. Now, right. as they're walking up the street, a call comes into 911, and the caller says, hey, I think I see this Emmanuel guy, and he's got two women with him. Uh. So they're walking down the street, and, like, a shit ton of cops pull up. Yeah. And Brian introduces himself as Peter Marshall, and... He said that they've given up all earthly possessions and that they were just servants of the Lord. So they had no ID, etc. You know, and at this point, one of the officers noticed that one of the females accompanying him resembled Elizabeth Smart. Brian is telling the cops, this is my daughter. You're not allowed to talk to her, so on and so forth. So the police pull Elizabeth to the side to question her. Good job pulling aside. Finally, we have a cop with two fucking brain cells to rub together love that so yeah and yeah literally she was kidnapped in what june of 2002 this is now march of 2003 for christ's sakes ridiculous so police you know they pull her aside to question her and initially she gives the bullshit story that brian told her to give that she was raised in florida by her mother and she had just come to be with her father and stepmother this past year and the police aren't buying it they produce a flyer with elizabeth's photo on it and they're like that's her that's her so the police tell her you know it's over you're safe just say you're elizabeth smart that's all you have to do right and she proceeds to deny that she's elizabeth for about 45 minutes still fearing the wrath of her captors and finally as the police handcuffed her and led her to the back of a, a cruiser They said, all right, this is your last chance to tell us that you're Elizabeth Smart. To which she replied, simply, thou sayest. Oh, my God. I feel like that alone says. Yeah, well, because for like nine months, she's been speaking in biblical fucking terms. Right. You know, so that's what she said. She said, thou sayest. Right. And as she sits in the back of the patrol car, Elizabeth is still terrified that she's going to be killed. And Mm. as she sat in the police interrogation room, the door burst open without warning and there was her dad. Oh. And she said as her father ran over and hugged her, she finally felt safe. Oh, that almost made me cry. Almost almost, almost had a feeling. Jesus Christ. Elizabeth was welcomed home by extended and immediate family and soon offers of treatment began to flood in. And people said that she needed to be sent off to treatment and that she needed to be removed from society to heal. But girl, no, 
for the past nine months, Elizabeth didn't have a say in anything. So she it was really important to her that her wishes be respected. And she wanted to be home with her family. Yeah. And she would later go on to remark that her parents respecting that wish was hugely empowering for her. Good. Now, authorities began to interrogate Brian. And every time they got close to a confession, Brian would go on one of his fucking psychotic rants. And the police believed that he was faking insanity. Now, it took about eight years from the time Elizabeth was rescued for this case to come to court. And in the meantime, the Smart family is dodging the media. They don't want anything to jeopardize the case. Um, As one would presume with this case, the mental status of the defendants was called into question. Right. And they were remanded to mental hospitals until 2010 when they were finally deemed fit to stand trial. Now, as the trial draws closer, Lois Smart is concerned that her daughter isn't ready to take the stand and face her captors and be grilled about why she didn't run away but and ultimately elizabeth said that she was nervous walking into court however she said when she saw him in shackles she realized that she he didn't have power over her anymore right and i would also argue like how would anybody ever truly be like ready for that i you know what i mean but good for her that she got to have that moment you know moment of like I'm safe, you know. Moment of fuck you, you lunatic. Absolutely. Yeah, so it was said that she was an exceptional witness and she would later be credited as the main reason for the guilty verdict in this case. Good. Ultimately, the result, Brian David Mitchell will serve life in prison. I wish the death penalty were on the table almost. Hepzibah, on the other fucking hand, was released in 2018 why i and this is okay hear me out i this might be a controversial opinion but i was listening to another podcast the other day i can't remember if it was morbid or if it was crime junkie whatever the case they had referenced some other source (laughs) and they were talking about cases like this right where women who are victims of abuse help recruit other young women to kind of take their place in the chain of abuse. And mm-hmm. it essentially said, you know, that that woman recruiting the new person to be abused does not negate that they were victims as well. However, them being victims does not excuse or justify them recruiting another young person to be sexually abused. And in well, this case, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, most most child molesters were themselves abused. That doesn't excuse it. You know, we've Absolutely. accepted that as fact. I just, you know, I get that she was probably too some extent a victim in her own right but i just and i know that they didn't kill her but the amount of trauma that they put her through i just know some things i'm just like you should just be rotting for life and this is one of those things yeah so you know 
I guess the happy ending in this story is that Elizabeth is now a child safety advocate and she's married with three young children of her own. So she got her happily ever after in a roundabout fucked up way. And she now travels around, you know, giving talks and, you know, I believe she has a book out and so she's doing well. Good. I hope she's thriving. I hope she's thriving too. Elizabeth, if you're listening, we hope you're thriving. And that's all I have today for the story of Elizabeth Smart. Well, we love a survival story on channels like this. I know they're few and far between, but this is definitely Um, a case where, I mean, both of these sisters were so impressive in the way that they strategized the way that they rationalized and worked through these things and also for elizabeth's sister because i mean this is coming from somebody who i am not observant i'm not an observant person and i wish she's I was. not it's no <laughs> lj has many great qualities but being observant is not one of no and i mean i'm the first to say it like i'm not observant at all mm-hmm. so i i could never see a person in that type of a situation life or death you know like if it was a life or death situation and you said where do you know this man from i don't care six months nine months a year later it would not come to me i would never have figured that out like it just amazes me that at nine ten years old she was able to hone far that's impressive yeah and then elizabeth like manipulating this man into moving back to salt lake city good for her we love her for that a manipulative queen doing the lord's work for real for real doing the real lord's lord's work not the emmanuel and hepzibah lord's work god okay folks well with that being said i think we will wrap this up remember if you have a story that you would like us to cover you can email us at say psycho right now at gmail.com we are also on instagram at say psycho right now and we are on facebook and lj is going to say our facebook page name because i can never remember it say psycho right now colon a true crime and paranormal podcast but literally any socials that you guys want to find us on Pretty much is just say psycho right now. We tried yeah. to keep it easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Not the lemons. <laughs> what? Okay, keep going. I like lemons. Oh, okay. God, it, you said lemons, and my brain goes to SpongeBob where they're like, evil. Every villain is lemons. Do you remember that? no i don't stop i hate that my brain only operates (laughs) (laughs) okay last one is patreon arguably the most important one Mm. it lets you get episodes early live episodes bonus episodes stickers if you hang in there for three months stickers who doesn't love a sticker who doesn't love a sticker god god you know subscribe if this didn't bother you (laughs) (laughs) okay well oh and our website 
website, saypsychorightnow.com. It should be live for all folks very soon. If you're listening to this early, it might not be, so don't call me on that. Yeah. But by this time, by the time you're listening to this, I really think it should be up because our goal is to get it up and running in April. Yeah. Uh, it's already fully ready to go. We're just waiting on like paperwork. Paperwork. But yeah, it's going to be a fun time. So check that out. Yeah, we've got and... like a little and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Toodaloo. If you cut out my SpongeBob thing, I'll kill you. Okay. I'm so sorry. I will not cut out the SpongeBob. God. God. Okay. As a matter of fact, don't quote that out. Don't cut that out either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Oh no! Did we perform a fuckeroni?